I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Driven to distraction. As the value of classic cars revs up, is the market for this tax-efficient alternative investment in danger of overheating? UK expats beware, the quality of financial advice you're receiving overseas could be bordering on banditry, according to FT Money columnist Jason Butler. And as UK blue chips start to stutter, should investors cast their gaze to Asia? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues and columnists. We will start this week with a short quiz. Which of the following investments would have performed better over the past 20 years? A. The FTSE 100 Index B. A two-bedroom flat in South London Or C. An Aston Martin Zagato You don't have to be a committed petrol head to know that the correct answer, of course, is C, as values of classic cars have soared in recent years. But what's driving the trend? And are investors who buy in at current levels destined to crash and burn? I'm joined in the FT studio by Daniel Pembry, the freelance journalist and author who's penned our cover feature on the subject this week. Daniel, welcome to the FT Money Show. Thank you. So talk us through the opening of your piece for us this week, which begins down a lovely narrow lane in Clapham Common, 1996. <laughs> That's right. There was a classic garage, classic car garage in Clapham at that time, the aptly named Paradise Garage. One afternoon... I walked past it and noticed a green Aston Martin DB4 Zagato, which is a very rare, beautiful car. There were only 19 of them made. Now, this one was for sale for half a million pounds, which seemed a fantastic amount of money at the time. I sold my flat round the corner for just under £200,000. Two bedrooms, 1,000 square foot, south facing over the common. It was a pretty stupid thing to do to sell it, but I went off to Seattle to join an internet company, and it seemed the easier option. Had I put my money in 1996 into the FTSE 100 index, perhaps via a tracker fund, it would have trebled in value with dividends reinvested. The flat would have increased fivefold by now, but another of those Aston Martin Zagatos would have just sold at auction for a little over £10 million, £10 million! Which would have made for a 20-fold increase. Gosh, so that was the investment that you should have should have stuck with if you had had the benefit of hindsight. But what's driving these crazy sounding prices? Could it be down to the fact that classic cars maybe appeal to men of a certain age? <laughs> uh, well, there is a theory articulated by an auctioneer who just sold an old racing Ferrari in Paris for 32 million euros, God. that the market is essentially generational and that the people who dreamed about certain cars in childhood 
now have the funds to pursue them. But I'm not sure it's precise. What's not in doubt is that certain cars do enter the public consciousness mm. in a particular way. You know, I went to see the James Bond film Skyfall in cinema. That's the James Bond film before last. And the biggest round of applause went not to Daniel Craig or indeed the charismatic villain Javier Bardem, but rather to the Aston Martin DB5, suddenly illuminated in some East London locker. A pristine DB5 will now set you back three quarters of a million pounds. Then you have cars like the Golf GTI Mark One, uh, which is hardly rare, but a car that many young drivers and others formed an attachment to in the 1980s. Until recently, they were practically worthless. Now good examples will trade for over £15,000. So cult appreciation and valuations to match are cropping up in a few places now. Incredible. But in the piece in FT Money, you recall your own rather fleeting ownership of the car of your dreams, an E-Type Jaguar. How successful an investment was that for you? Well, yes, the E-Type was the car I coveted in youth. My dad owned a Series 1 fixed head. While living in the States, I found a really nice silver blue open top Series 1 in San Francisco, actually on eBay, and bought it for the equivalent of £47,000. When I moved back to London, I had it shipped over, then sold it to a UK dealer for 60000 This was back in... 2010. That dealer would have added a healthy markup. Even so, the value of E-types has probably doubled since. But ownership was never easy. Yes, well, I was going to say, you sold your flat, you sold your car. Um, what, what use are you? But finally, the experts that you've been speaking to for the piece think that, in fact, valuations of classic cars could be set to hit a puncture. Experts I've spoken to aren't expecting a crash like in the early 90s, mainly because there isn't the same borrowed money or speculation. There will be far fewer for sellers in the event of a downturn. Also, there seems to have been a step change in the way these cars are viewed as an investment class. It's become much more acceptable to put safe money into classic cars as an alternative to, say, the stock market in a way that wasn't the case previously. There's also a feeling that the public appeal of these vehicles has widened of late too, through events such as Goodwood, um, also more local ones such as those run at Bister Heritage. Uh, events are cropping up all over the place. Now, will prices keep going up in the same way? No, experts are not expecting that either. Growth should return to a far more normal level, say 8%, in the opinion of one leading dealer. Keep in mind there are significant carrying costs between the storage, running and repairs, which will eat into those returns. Well, fantastic. Thanks there to Daniel Pembry. You can read his full cover feature on the investment performance of classic cars, everything you need to know in FT Money this weekend. Still to come on the FT Money show, is the smart money heading to Asia? Before that, if you're a British expat living and working overseas, and we know from readers' emails that many of you are, please make sure you are sitting down before our next item begins. The Wealth Man, our FT Money columnist Jason Butler, fears for the quality of financial advice you may have been receiving, and he's not a man to mince his words. In his column this week, he writes that concentrations of affluent expats in poorly regulated countries have been a magnet for what he terms greedy, unethical and incompetent pond life of the financial services world, who have been driven out of the UK market as regulators here up their standards. Jason, welcome to the FT Money Show. Hello. Strong words in your column this week, which have been inspired in part by horror stories you've heard from friends and former clients working overseas. What's prompted your concern? Well, the, the key problem is that the UK financial services market now is probably one of the best regulated in the world. The standards are very high, transparency, suitability requirements to actually put your client's best interests uh, first are, are very, very clearly laid out. And so therefore, 
firms in the UK, regardless of their shortcomings, and you know, obviously there's good and bad in everything, but generally the standard here is so much higher that if you are just a chancer, you aren't going to do it in the UK. You aren't going to hide out in the UK as a financial advisor, really as a financial salesman. You're going to go to places where it's a lot easier to both hoodwink people, where it's easier to basically get paid a lot for doing very little and delivering no value. And that's essentially what's happened. And that's through the commission structures, which are now no longer um, applicable in the UK market. So two areas that you particularly warn expat readers about in your column are the issue of pension transfers and also setting up a regular savings plan. Why is this? Well, the transfers is a particular issue. It hasn't just happened as a result of the recent pension freedom rules. Pensions are captive money, essentially. And if an overseas advisor can get you to transfer your UK pensions under the pretext of coming out of the straitjacket of the UK, uh, getting control of your money, avoiding currency risk, all these kind of quite plausible arguments... Um, they can then get you into their investment products, which are more expensive, that have very, very high setup costs, rather dubious underlying investments, and they can earn a lot of money both in terms of setting it up and in terms of managing it for you. Mm. So it's, it's nice, easy money that they can get their hands on. And so therefore, there's been a hell of a lot of work uh, done by overseas firms, uh, predominantly in uh, the high earning areas, so Dubai, Emirates, etc. But also with people in Spain and Portugal, where people need to access some of these funds. And unfortunately, a lot of the outcomes people are having are not as good as if they'd left their money here in the regulated UK market. The other area, regular savings plan, is particularly relevant for high earners in the tax-free or low-tax areas uh, like the Middle and Far East. And if, you're, if you've got large amounts of surplus income and you're an expat, you know the good times aren't going to last forever. No. You're not paying any tax. You know you need to plan for the future. There aren't really any pension structures in these countries and certainly not anything you'd want to get involved in. So it's quite plausible to want to put your money to work, isn't it, into some kind of long-term investment scheme. The problem is, is that the long-term, most of the long-term savings arrangements for long-term investing in overseas markets are really extremely expensive and poor value compared to just putting your money in the bank account, for instance. And certainly nothing like you would get in the UK. So um, unfortunately, the setup costs in these things are very high. The investment selections are very expensive and poor. And there's very little, if any, planning going on. There's a lot of selling going on. Now, speaking as somebody who has helped people plan for the future um, in your previous career... For those who are working overseas or considering a move to a foreign posting, listening to this podcast and thinking, crikey, what should I do? Can you give them some ideas? Yeah, well, the, the, the best thing to do is before you leave the UK is to actually find and appoint a UK regulated advisor, a proper financial planning firm that works on fees, that does strategic planning, that will help you arrange good value products if you need them. And not everyone needs them uh, because debt reduction may be a big thing for you to do. Uh, appoint them before you go because you can continue using them after you leave the UK uh, in most cases. If you have already left or you've been abroad for a long time, then I've set out in the article five or six things you should be asking as an absolute minimum of the firm that you use. And the most important thing to do is work out where they are regulated, that they will offer you a fee option and commission-free products to remove the potential conflict of interest, that they do do strategic planning, so they will put time into doing the proper planning, why are you investing, before they get near products, and that they have appropriate high-level qualifications like chartered or certified financial planner. 
That doesn't guarantee anything because at the end of the day, if it all goes wrong and the advice turns out to be poor or bad value, then the only recourse you're going to have is through courts. And good luck to you if you've got a Swiss registered company regulated by Germany, passported into Spain, dealing with a UK um, resident. That's going to be a nightmare. Well, thank you very much there. That was Jason Butler, the FT's Wealth Man columnist. You can read his full column, Beware the Bandits of Wealth Management, in FT Money this weekend as part of the Weekend FT, widely available on both Saturday and Sunday, or read it online now, ft.com slash money. And if you're an expat concerned by what you've heard and want to get in touch with us, do email us, our address, money at ft.com. Now, from the Wild West to the Far East. Mention income investing, and many of you will think of UK blue chips, but red lights have been flashing as many of the FTSE 100 staple dividend payers cull their payouts. Does this mean investors should start looking further afield? I'm joined by Micah Curry, Investment Director at Fidelity and FT Money's Income Investor Columnist. Micah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Claire. We've previously spoken on the show about the problem of dividend clustering in the UK. In your column this week, you offer an alternative region for yield-hungry investors namely Asia. Tell us more. 55% of all dividends are paid by only 15 companies. Now, the problem is if you're investing in UK equity income funds for diversification, as you should, you'll see the same names repeat again and again. And as we saw with the dividend cull in the UK top flight, that is a huge problem. Now, few people will think of Asia as a growth region, but actually the income opportunities are quite attractive. And Lion Trust Asset Managers looked at the Asia-Pacific excluding Japan region and they found 165 companies with a prospective dividend yield of 4% and future earnings share growth of 10%. Now, if you compare that to the UK, they found only 33 companies, 62 in Europe, and despite all this talk about Japan starting to return money to shareholders, they only found two companies in Japan. So there's definitely an income story in Asia. Well, stick that in your backpack, Merrin Somerset Webb. (laughs) But is this focus on paying money back to shareholders necessarily a new trend? It's not a new trend. So if we wind the clock back about two decades, 20 years ago, uh, a time frame that includes the really nasty Asian crisis. I mean, look at the return from the MSCI Asia Pacific, excluding Japan index. You would have got a total return of 155%. So that's looking from March 20 years ago to March 2016. Without dividends reinvested, that number comes to a far less impressive 42%. Hmm. The only thing that has changed recent years is China coming to the party and um, we've got South Korea making quite a few changes and of course in Singapore real estate investment trusts now make up about 10% of that stock market. So the case for income is clear but there are a lot of concerns around emerging markets around Asia China in particular the great engine of the world's economy misfiring. Investors might be a bit nervous about venturing into these markets. That's right. So China has been in the headlines this year for all the wrong reasons. Now, if you speak to fund managers, they are relatively sanguine about the debt problem in China, even though we see a lot of headlines around that, because if you compare that to most developed markets, it's not that much. Of course, the other issue with China is the slowing growth. Now, you don't want the world's second largest economy to enjoy double-digit figures, so growth must slow. The problem is the money flowing out of China. Now, that's something to watch. If capital outflows turn into capital flight, it shows that the government has lost control of the current account, and that is a problem. But looking at China and looking at Asia more generally, remember, while the developed world is 
flirting with negative interest rates, Asia still has a lot of monetary firing power. Well, thanks very much. That was Micah Curry of Fidelity. You can read her full column in FT Money this weekend. We'd love to know what you think about classic cars, poor advice given to expats, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email or address money at ft.com, or you can tweet us at FT Money. There's just time to tell you what else will feature in this weekend's issue. Jonathan Ely, my predecessor, examines the recent changes to capital gains tax and fears more will be on the way. We examine the latest stats on the PPI scandal, and as usual, we have the latest share tips and director's deals from the Investors Chronicle. The Money Show is produced and edited in London by Naomi Rovnik. We will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.